This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. The Hog Sports Network presents the basketball podcast of Mid-America, the premier Arkansas hoops podcast covering the Razorbacks men's and women's teams. Here's your host, WholeHogSports.com basketball analyst, Scotty Bordelon. Welcome into the basketball podcast of Mid-America. It is December 13th. Boys, we have some things to talk about. Um, happy to be joined by Ethan Westerman of Whole Hog Sports and good to have Tater Boy himself, Blake Sutton, back, back on the pod. How how you feeling? You better than you were last week? I'm feeling good, man. And, uh, not to get too off topic, but the Oklahoma City Thunder had a big vote last night to keep the team in Oklahoma City until 2050. It had to go to a vote because it has to do with like taxes and bonds and, um, paying for a new arena it's going to be like 900 million dollars and the vote passed like 70 to 30 so thunder are in okc until 2050 so i'm happy about that just a couple more years they'll be in the city yeah i saw a tweet last night that said biggest win in oklahoma city uh thunder franchise history so i like i i went to like check i'm like who did they beat and then i couldn't find any scores on espn so i was like let me look more into this and then the score was the vote total yeah (laughs) i was like i was like oh did they beat uh I mean, who's number one right now? Who'd they be? And yeah, I I ended up reading out about how they're they're staying there, which that's big for I feel like a lot of people in this area. That's the closest NBA team to Northwest Arkansas. That's I mean, pretty awesome. I went to a game last year. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what they can do like at the new arena and stuff. I mean, cool team to like. Really cool team to like. I really enjoyed my experience there. Um, plus it's nice to have Isaiah Joe and Jalen Williams on that team. So yeah, for sure. And my, my wife and I are going next month to see them play the Orlando Magic, who have That's going to be Black. a hell of a game, dude. The yeah. Magic are like the surprise of the NBA season. They're a lot of fun. They're number two in the East, and right now the Thunder are number two in the West. And so it's yeah, going to be buddy. a pretty good game. And you could potentially have three Razorbacks on the floor at the same time. Yeah, the AB's been starting a lot for them, I think. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're rolling with him at, at playing the one. Just better hope that Eric Musselman doesn't go and take a picture with the three of them, or else you'll have people screaming oh, God, on social media about how that's why the team loses like yeah like h- how do people get there mentally <laughs> how do people get there mentally like is the prep is done why is that not why is that hard to understand that the prep is done like you played on monday you've got tuesday wednesday thursday friday until like before seven o'clock probably to get everything like in order, get the game plan, you know, nailed down. The game plan didn't didn't come to fruition, but it's not. Well, I'm just I'm gonna say it. I think I think Arkansas lost because Eric went to see a couple of his former players the other night. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. It's not that this team can't keep the ball in front of them. It's not that they don't have an identity. It's because Eric went to an NBA game where he was trying to get some. Good PR for for his team, and you know, dap up the boys and and all. Three that. of his players that he's coached, and it's you're sitting here. You're re- really it goes through people's minds that hey, because Eric Musselman at the last hour of Friday went to see three former players. Like, what do they think is going to happen if he didn't do that? Is he going to be at the hotel at seven p.m. and be like, oh my gosh, I just came up with a new game plan, team. Let's have a real quick meeting. We're going to completely. A new revelation about OU that I didn't discover all week. Like, come on now. They were going to get beat if Eric is at the Thunder game or not. They just, they can't guard right now. I mean, Eric would have been, it would have been silly to not go to that game, right? Like, it lined up so perfectly. Like, you've got three of your former guys within what, I don't know how far Tulsa is away from Oklahoma City. Like an hour and a half, I think. I mean, you'd be be crazy not to to go see the guys. And, I mean, if Jalen Williams has a bad game, in his next game, is it, it? I mean, he's not focused. I mean, he went to the Arkansas Oklahoma game. I mean, he was sitting right behind the bench. He's not. He's clearly not focused on, on whoever the Thunder have next on their schedule. Side note: It was really funny on the TV broadcast. Of course, we didn't see it there because we were at the game, but saw it later. They put Jalen Williams' stats from the night before up on a graphic, and it was the other Jalen Williams, and they literally spelled like they had the other Jalen Williams' name. Like two, like J A L E N. It was a really well run operation the other day. So okay. it looked like Jalen Jalen Williams, the Arkansas one, had just had a phenomenal game the night before, and I don't think he did. 
I remember I went to Jalen Williams, the Arkansas, or what they what they call him Dub and J Will. Is that is that how they? Yeah, Arkansas Jalen Williams is J Will, and Santa yeah, Clara Jalen Williams is J Dub. J Dub. So I went to me and Bob went down to J Will's draft party a couple years ago, and what was J Dub? He got drafted like maybe right outside the lottery or maybe mid first round or something like that. I think it was 12th overall. So Jalen Williams name gets announced. Like they've got the the draft on the, the big screens in Northside's brand new basketball arena, which is, it's really sweet. It's, it kind of reminded me a little bit, at least from the scoreboard of what we saw in the chase center, where it's like curved jumbotrons all the way around, but there are TVs inside the, the jumbotron. So like if you're sitting low and, like those TVs inside the jumbotron are a little bit easier to watch, and Jalen Williams' name gets gets called out, gets drafted. Everybody in the place goes nuts, and Jay Will is like almost in tears, crying because everybody thinks that he just got drafted. And so that was a that was a fun part of the night. I say this, I feel like about every episode that we have a lot to get into, but this week it is probably uh, more true than any other time. I think just the the current state of the men's and women's teams has also delayed the debut of the Bud Walton Buckets Club, which I want to get to at some point because it sounds like we've got Talia Scott on board, our president. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned if y'all haven't listened to Ethan's interview with Talia Scott on the Game Changers podcast last Friday, um, she's she's on board. She's a certified listener of the pod. She is. Um, and she – and actually the team – the team tweeted something during their game. She, in their first half against Pine Bluff, which they should have just ended it at the end of the first half, she had a stretch where she had 21 of their 24 points, and she was just making everything. And the team the team tweeted, said, "The pres- our, our president is doing president things today or something oh, there like you go. that. Yeah. So, like, Ball knowers. We might have a few listeners of the pod, but anyways, yeah, I don't think that this this week is not a good time to introduce the Bud Walton Bucket Getters Club because this week we just need to we just need to talk about how they can get back to you know having a smile on their face. The teams, because yeah, I don't think there's not a whole lot of smiling going on probably in that in that practice facility in the in the basketball offices this week. No, I mean after just you have two teams right now, men's and women's, that are sub like. Like they're sub like seventy at least in the net on both sides, and the men are sub one hundred. I mean, there's a lot to fix. It's only December. Don't hit the panic button. But I mean, there's not a lot of smiling going on right now. I don't think because teams got to turn it around right now. Arkansas and Eric Musselman are six and four after a seventy nine seventy lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma jumped up to number 11 in the latest AP poll. I think that Oklahoma team is going to be pretty good. They are pretty good at the, at the moment. Um, Arkansas is not even receiving votes in the AP poll anymore. Don't think whatsoever I envisioned that happening before the season started. Um, if you guys are okay with it, we're going to lay out, I guess, our, our top concerns with this men's team. We'll, we can get into the women's team a little bit later is, buddy, we got some stuff to talk about with them too. Um, I've got some thoughts on like what the top concerns are, uh, at least on my end, but I'm interested in what you guys think is is maybe one, two, if you want to go to three, just what are the things that, may, that are maybe holding this team back the most? I can start, I guess. Um, I mean, I feel like I said this all game on Saturday. I just said like Eric seems have never – since I've watched them, um, like just given up the middle so easily to where teams are just getting a straight drive to the bucket. And like, and he talked about it this week, I believe on his radio show, they just got to keep their guy in front of them. Like they're having such a hard time with guys just blowing past and getting to the rim. And he talked about it. Like everybody loves to talk about how this is a great shot blocking team. I mean, it is, but half the reason they're getting so many block shots is because people are getting that far down there. Um, around the rim it's like those opposing guards are getting downhill almost at will man it's like it's the last line of defense is Chandler Lawson or Trevor Brazil swatting one out of there Um, but on Saturday it just felt like it just felt like Oklahoma could get to the cup whenever they wanted Um, they at, at no point ever in that game ever did I feel like Oklahoma was about to lose 
or Arkansas was going to win. I guess yeah. we can twist it that way. I, uh, I, I just didn't have any confidence after watching the first. Um, you know, it was it was t- I think it was like thirteen thirteen at one point, and I was just like, but it just seems like everything Arkansas is doing, they're having to work so much harder at it to get it. I just think right now it all starts in defense. They got to learn how to keep a guy in front of them, and um, until they're able to do that, they're going to have problems. I mean, people are like don't hit the panic button too much yet because Eric, this happens every year with Eric seems. I don't think people realize like, this hasn't happened in December. Like um, I get it. They played a tougher schedule than normal, but this four losses and you're in December is uncharted waters for, I mean, they had four team. losses in their first 10 games. Um, the last four seasons combined. And now you're walking into North Little Rock this weekend, which has kind of been, it's been an interest like every game that they play down there minus last season when they handled Bradley really well um it's been it's been tricky yeah. down there and it's it's a weird week because this is always a time where this game is right at the it like kind of caps finals week and so it's a weird week where you're taking finals but you're also you know you're probably busting your ass and you know behind closed doors trying to regardless of whether they were 8 and 1 or 9 and 1 going into this game i mean it's a it's a tough week where you're, you're probably still trying to figure some things out. And a couple of years ago, you know, you you lose that game to Oklahoma and you get the you get the week off. Eric's talking about all the, you know, defensive problems that they're having then. They were giving up a bunch of threes, especially on like baseline out of bounds plays, guys getting lost. I remember he called out specifically Stanley Amude, who grew to become like one of Arkansas's best perimeter defenders. He was like I, I eventually I ended up loving charting shots defended by Stanley Amude but then in the early going a couple of years ago I mean he was he was a mess defensively kind of thinking a lot um maybe like L Ellis is right now um it's just a, it's a it's a weird time but I think it's also it can also be a good time for this team which you've only got a few a few games in the span of like three weeks so I think it's about this is about the time of the year that you've got to really maximize these these days that that you have that um you know you can just kind of focus on you you know yeah. you got to get you got to get you right first and, and that's like focusing on you i feel like that's like the main thing right now is just like defense like they, they gotta focus on like stopping a man like from just blowing by him like stay in front of him um so that's for me the number one concern is just like guys are just getting past them like it's you just wonder how they're gonna like fix that um I, I trust that they will. I mean, Eric's always shown, like, until he proves me wrong, like, I trust him to, to come up with solutions to get this team right on the track. But, like, it's very clear right now you can't keep doing what you have been doing. Blake, you had really good seats at the game, and the last 16 minutes you had a better seat than Eric Musselman did. Just what were your um, what were your thoughts on on the game? And uh, are you as – I think if, if I had to list my top concern, it's obviously it's defense, and Eric mentioned it on his radio show, Been a, and Ethan mentioned a minute ago, been a no-middle team forever. And Eric said on his radio show Monday night, you know, they're not going to be a no-middle team anymore. They're going to be a keep-your-guy-in-front-of-you type of defense. Is that maybe your your top top issue with this group right now? My top issue is just – I think more than a, a defensive lapse or, you know, a, a lack of identity on offense. For me, my concern is, is more of a mental thing and how they handle adversity and, and how they are unable to overcome bad moments. And that was really highlighted. You mentioned it was tight early in the game. I remember at the at the under-12 timeout, Arkansas had like a two-point – or, yeah, under-8 under timeout, Arkansas had a two-point lead. It was like 21-19. to 19. Um, coming out of that, I remember, yeah, Arkansas got the lead, um, came down, got a stop against Oklahoma, crowd's going nuts, Jalen Graham gets a rebound, but he, instead of, he didn't really have anywhere to go with it, instead of calling a timeout, instead of getting off a good pass, he kind of flipped it over his shoulder, kind of towards Devo, well, then Devo goes for it, slips, Oklahoma gets the ball back, lays it in, it's a tie game. And after that happened, I believe Oklahoma went on a 18-4 to run to end the half and ended up having a 12-point lead at halftime. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went to the game with my dad on the, on the walk back to the car after the game. We kind of felt like that was the turning point because at that point, Arkansas had the lead. The crowd was super into it. They get a stop on defense, but one little mistake, and then Oklahoma ties the game and goes on an 18-4 to run. 
And I said that it was mental. You know, when, when guys, I mean, players are human too. When you make a mistake like that, it can really get into your head. And you're thinking, oh, if I had just made a better pass, Arkansas might have a four-point lead right now or a five-point lead. Or, um, you know, you start kind of second-guessing yourself. Well, when you do that, you make more mistakes because you're not thinking about the game anymore. You're thinking about the mistake that you just made two minutes ago. And the game really got away from them at that point, and it and they never got it back. You know, it was a 12-point lead at halftime. It got to 19 at one point. It tightened up at the end when Oklahoma put in their backups. But, yeah, I felt like at that point when Jalen Graham made that bad pass and Oklahoma tied the tied the game up, it was, it was all downhill from there for Arkansas. And that's a play this year where – Remember, we wrote about it in the summer when the NCAA implemented some rule changes for this year. In that position that Jalen Graham was in on Saturday, you can now call a timeout while you're – if you've got possession of the ball and you're kind of falling out of bounds, you can call a timeout now and save possession. Also, cardinal sin in basketball is saving the basketball under your opponent's basket along the baseline. Like in the broadcast, the broadcast which – we can maybe get into that later, was like, if if anything, you just kind of throw it over your head and, you know, maybe try to hit the scoreboard with it. Or, I, I mean, you just, you, you don't try to save it about, you know, five or six feet from the baseline. That's just, you're asking for, for a lot of trouble there. I went back to um, weekly shout out to CBB analytics. Last five games, Arkansas's defensive rating is 114.6, which is in the 14th percentile nationally. Arkansas is used to being 14th nationally in defensive efficiency. You know what I mean? Like, I think that through 10 games, we're seeing a team that, you know, maybe has the ability to defend, but is really, has really been slow um, to, to, you know, have that come to fruition. In that same time frame, that defense, that defensive rating of 114.6 is 13th out of 14 SEC teams in the last five games. Not great. Uh, outside the top 250 in the country in turnover rate, um, down in defensive turnover rate, it's down over 4% over last season. Um, and, and y'all have mentioned it too, just struggling to keep guys in front. It's been the ball screen defense has been not good. And I almost feel like I feel like the most effective ball screens that I've ever seen in my entire life always happen when always like the most effective ball screens are the ball screens that Arkansas's opponents are setting on Arkansas's guards. Am I wrong about that? Like when was the last time that you feel like Arkansas set a really sturdy ball screen itself on offense? Can you rem- can you come up with with any examples? Like I just can't. And I think part of part of the reason I think this team is is struggling kind of on the offensive end is just they're not maximizing the effect effectiveness of ball screens whether it's the ball handler himself or it's just I'm going to set I'm going to set like I'm going to set a ball screen but I'm just going to kind of throw a shoulder into somebody and they ba- it's basically useless um and then you basically have to reset your offense and then it turns into an oscillation where all five defenders on the other side of, on the other side are just watching the ball handler and they're not really worried about their their own particular matchup um, any any thoughts on that? Like, de- I think defense is a big issue for me, um, but offense. I don't know that the I don't know that the offense has an identity at this yeah. point either. A lot of times, it feels like late in the shot clock, just dribbling around, who's like try and make something happen, which you don't ever want to get there. Eric mentioned on his radio show that there was a player, um, and we can probably take there probably a couple of guesses that you can make, but he said that. At least one player the other day dribbled the ball like 14 or 15 times before, you know, deciding to finally do something with the ball. Um, yeah, you mentioned the just the inability to set a good screen. We noticed that the other day too in the game. And um, I don't want to name, you know, now that we know that the team's listening to this pot, I don't really want to call anybody out. But uh, there's a there's a player that's really bad at that, and especially around the perimeter. Like you said, he'll set a screen but he barely even gets in front of the the defender and he'll kind of maybe throw a, a little hip out there but he'll just brush he'll just brush the defender and it's it's totally ineffective and i feel like when when arkansas does that when they when they fail to set a good screen 
the offense just breaks down after that. It's kind of like that's their that's their plan. Like we're going to set a screen and get an open look. It doesn't happen. Then they're just kind of, oh, what do we do now? Right. And it's just handoff at the perimeter, handoff at the perimeter. And then, and then in the game the other day, I lost I lost count of how many times Musselman was almost getting to half court, yelling out the shot clock to the Arkansas yeah. players. Great He's point. going seven, yep. six, and it's like they they just they waste a ton of time. I think they got that. three shot clock violations they over did, the game. Yeah. Maybe they got another one after I left to go down to post game. No, it was it was three. It was three. I mean, and two of those were very early. It was just back to back possessions yeah. within like the first four minutes of the game. That's I mean, that's why I was telling you, like, I never you never felt once like Arkansas like even whenever it was close, you just felt like everything Arkansas is doing is like harder. And I yeah, just things like that. You're like, if you aren't able to hoist up a shot at the end of the shot clock early in the game. Um, you're that rattled this early. Not good. Eric mentioned after the game to floor organization from the point guard spot. How does that improve? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you've got to count on, I mean, we can talk about potential fixes or what we think is going to happen with this group moving forward because it ain't going to stay the same, basically, is, is what Eric's been saying. Um, but it's not like Saturday was the first time that these guys have played with a shot clock. Why is it, why is it in those instances in a, in a game like Oklahoma where you just become completely unaware of the shot clock, especially early in a game where those kind of possessions can potentially set a tone in a game? And like you mentioned, potentially make a, an offense more rattled. Um, I know. do, uh, to, I guess, give them a little break. I do remember a sequence in the first half. Um, it was an out-of-bounds. <clears throat> ball went out-of-bounds. Arkansas had the ball. There was nine seconds left on the shot clock. They reset it to 30, and then they set it back to nine. And I think – Oh, wow. I forget who – I forget who had the ball, but um, – yeah, I think that I want to say it was Caleb Battle. I feel like I remember that. And he, I think he didn't realize that they had, that he realized they had reset it to 30. And so he had a lot more time. But then when they, they set it back to nine, I don't think he knew that. And that's when Musselman's running out there going six, five, four, you know. So interesting, man. I just, I don't, if I can maybe go back to one more thing on the defensive end, Arkansas's identity, I think on the defensive end in the past. And Eric Eric's talked about it a lot in the past. And I mean, I'm not going to be saying anything new here, but their defensive identity had been being really connected on that end and playing really good help defense and simultaneously like slowing an opposing star player or holding a really good scoring guard or front court guy below his averages. Um, Arkansas has given up 76.4 points per game now, which I think as of Saturday, I think that was either 13th or 14th in the league. They went into the Oklahoma game last in the league in scoring defense, if, if I remember right. I think you you mentioned that to me the other day. And eight straight games now, at least one player has scored at least 20 points on Arkansas. And there's been a couple of games where, where two guys have at least gotten 20. Two, I think two guys have gotten 30-plus. That's not, that's not Arkansas defense, man. It's not. And I don't I don't know if it's a case of like just not learning not learning your lesson or game plan discipline's not maybe where it needs to be, but there's a there's a, a big deficiency on the defensive end. Um should we have seen it coming maybe with the with the makeup of this roster like maybe what like the storylines in the in the offseason when you're getting all these guys you see shooting 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 scoring should there have been maybe a little bit more pause that maybe you're you're going to sacrifice a little bit of your defensive potential to you know see an uptick in in offense because i mean that's what kind of arkansas didn't have a pulse on offense yeah. last year when they you know when they got knocked out of the tournament i think what's so confusing about it though is like Still not like not naming specific. I feel like you you felt like you had some players who could defend though. Yeah. Like it's 
And the, going back to just the problem of like depending, like looking at the numbers, Arkansas is dead last in the SEC right now, allowing 24.3 free throw attempts per game. It's like guys can't guard without fouling either. And that's so like if you're getting guys in foul trouble, um, like you're, you're number one giving other team points, such a compounding effect. You're giving teams opportunities to score more points because they're going to the line and you're getting your guys in foul trouble. It's just, I mean, not a good recipe. I think that right now it's more or less. I think you still have some guys who can defend. It's like, show me something. I do too. It's yeah. like, show me something. Like, I don't know if it's a, like, like Musselman said, like we've been a no middle team. Now we're switching to just like kind of stay in front of your man type of defense. Like maybe it's just change how you're, you're, you're schematically defending and see if that helps your guys out. Cause I still think you have some guys who can defend. I mean, at pretty much every position, but it's like, they haven't shown you anything this year. Um, I, I don't think that, I don't think that it's like, I don't, I wouldn't think it's fair to like say like that just by going and getting some guys who can play some offense, like that it took a hit, like it just shouldn't have taken a hit on the defense in my opinion. Cause I still think that there's some guys who like have shown they can defend and it's just, they haven't yet. I think that maybe this will be like the biggest muscleman project yet of just figuring out how he can get players to, to maybe buy in defensively a little bit more. Um, but as it stands right now, it's not a recipe to get through the rest of non-conference, yet, uh, let alone SEC play, whenever you're playing teams that are going to – I mean, how if you can't stay in front of some of these – I mean, look at these scores that Arkansas had against some some of these teams they played. They gave up um, – they gave up 77 points to Old Dominion. They gave up 83 to Furman. Uh, we all know Greensboro scored 78. It's like if, if other teams are having this type of success on offense in non-conference, and I'm not trying to slight those teams. They aren't, like, for their conference, they're not, like, bad teams in their conference. But still, it's not, like, what are you going to do whenever you're playing Kentucky and Tennessee? And I mean, you got Auburn first up in yeah. in SEC play. Auburn's got, Auburn's got Aiden Holloway, Trey Donaldson, Katie Johnson. How are you going to keep those dudes in front? Like, yeah. that's a – it's just a it's a it's a worry of mine. It's just weird whenever your best defensive performances it does feel like have come against like the like we'll throw the exhibition in there like against like Duke and per, like why it just doesn't make much sense why some of your best defensive performances feel like the games that you were probably the most worried about defensively is it like that guys just buy in a little bit more to the game plan cuz they know it's Duke coming to town that's what worries me I'm like why are like are you just sleeping on some teams like or I mean, Oklahoma, I think, is just really good, to be honest. And they, I mean, but, like, I don't know. It's just confusing to me. It's like, does this team just need, like, that big-name opponent to make them wake up and buy into the defensive game plan? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think one thing that's that bothers me a little bit is that we haven't seen, like, a shutdown performance from this defense once this year. Like, Alcorn State scored 59. That's not a good team. Like right now, they're 311th on Ken Palm. Gardner Webb almost put up 70. And then every team since has at least scored 70. If you look at last year's team, Fordham didn't score 50. Arkansas held Louisville, God bless them, to 54. Um, San Jose State and UNC Greensboro didn't crack 60. Like there hasn't been one of those, you know, we can get six or seven stops in a row and really put it on somebody type of type of games yet. And I think that's kind of a I keep saying a worry or a concern, but it's it's, dude, it's it's right there. Um, secondly, second concern for me might be um, maybe just not at this moment. You're not getting what you thought you were going to get from some of the the newcomers. I mean, do y'all have are, are y'all thinking along those same lines? Like, I think in my mind, L. Ellis kind of pops to the 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 forefront but even L, l's had some good games so we know he's capable of it um and one hell one of them came against duke but yeah he definitely jumps out the most as as a guy that you kind of expected more from and i haven't really looked at the i've gone back and looked at the numbers but i think he he averaged like 17.77 points a game at louisville last year but we also have to remember louisville won five games and i started to kind of think that might have been a little deceiving. Like, how many of those points was he getting in garbage time? Against? It felt like they were hollow. Yeah. And you've seen it all year. He's He's got a really short leash with Musselman. It, it doesn't really take does. much for Musselman to pull him out of the game. And 
I've I've kind of noticed that about several of the players this year. Last year, he didn't really – felt like last year the only guy he had a really short leash with was Jordan Walsh. It didn't take much for – it didn't – it took Jordan Walsh making one or two mistakes and he was getting pulled. Uh, but everybody else stayed out there for the entire game. This year, it's like L. Ellis makes a mistake, he's getting pulled. Blocker makes a mistake, he's getting pulled. Uh, Chandler Lawson makes a mistake, he's getting pulled. And you're you're having a lot more um, subs than you have in previous Muslim years. And so, you know, maybe that has to do with, uh, the you know, part of the team not really getting into a rhythm on offense or defense because they're subbing constantly. And I still think it's up to Muslim to kind of find that best – lineup that he can leave into the game for long stretches of time that that has the most chemistry you know but we just haven't seen that yet I mean he's he's subbing more than he ever has do you think he starts letting guys play through mistakes more you know maybe like I an mean, L L comes to mind first and foremost yeah. I think and it's I mean it's it's just frustrating because I mean there's like like on Saturday, I think about Jalen Graham. He comes in and he does so many good things in a short amount of time. And then it like gets to the point where it like seemed like he made like a couple little mistakes, but it felt like Muslim was trying to let him like play through those. And then it just didn't stop. It was kind of like, you got to pull him now um, type of deal. It's you wonder who are those guys that you can give that leash to to keep like and it not keep compounding and lead to more mistakes. I mean, I think L. Ellis, the way I look at this team, he's got to be, like, I don't see this team, like, getting to where it wants to get without him being a piece of the equation. Like, I feel like he has to be. You've seen in their best moments he is. Um, it's it's a matter of, I don't know what's going on there, maybe mentally um, or, like, behind the curtain that we don't ever see. But it seems to me like he's a guy that has got to, like, maybe breathe a little and, like, play through mistakes some um, because whenever he's at his best, he's getting everybody involved. Um, he's scoring. He's it's, but, but at his worst, I mean, it's like, can you trust the dude out here right now? I think that, I think that that's going to have to be part of the equation this year is like some guys just learning how to play through mistakes and getting a little bit longer, maybe of a leash than we're, than we're used to seeing um, because there's only, there's only one way to get better. And that's like, being on the court and getting better through tough things. Um, but I do think, I mean, end of the day, Musselman will find his guys that are going to give him the best shot to win. So um, I think that right now that's in a situation where there's just enough leeway with the roster where, like, you're going to have to have some guys to give that opportunity to. I think in the past maybe there was a little, like the leash was shorter because you had guys that could instantly come in and fill that hole. I'm not sure they have that this year. I think that's a pretty good segue into what I wanted to get into next. I was shooting, I was firing off rapidly a bunch of texts to you yesterday. Like, here's what I think, here's what I think might happen. And then I was like, follow me on this thought, follow me on this thought, follow me on that thought. Um, what do we think the adjustment or adjustments will be? I'm going to start with the rotation's going to shorten, right? Like, I just, I don't think that you can, like Eric said, you can't keep doing the same things that you're doing. What I was texting Ethan about yesterday, and bear with me here because I don't know how I don't know how well received this is going to be, or if if people kind of agree with it. You put Caleb Battle and or Tremont Mark on the ball more than anybody, right? Like those are your. If you know anything about like if what do we know about this team? At the guard spots, Battle and Tremont are your two most capable. I can go get it, and I can, you know, at times set up set up teammates for, for scores. And then I think you have Trevin Brazil kind of involved in everything. Like if you're setting screens, he can be your pick-and-pop guy. Um, you know, if Tremont Mark is, is, is on the ball, you can have Caleb Battle either on a wing or in a corner. Um, Maybe TB's, you know, setting ball screens, or you've got him in the dunker spot. And if if Chandler Lawson's setting ball screens for for Tremont Mark, maybe you have Trevin in the dunker spot. And if if Tremont's able to, you know, kind of compromise the defense, break it down, draw defenders. I mean, you've got a lob threat right there. I just think you go back a couple. I keep going back to a couple years ago, and then I think about something that somebody asked me in the summer. I was like, how 
comparable are J.D. Notes and Caleb Battles games. And some I asked that to somebody, and I think they said like eight and a half out of ten. And so I think you just I think you put the ball in the hands of your most dynamic guys most often, and then you just kind of fill in the you kind of fill in the holes, you know, with the rest of that five. So you got Kate, you got Battle, Mark Brazil. Who would be your your other two guys? Because to me, I think it's I think Chandler, Chandler Lawson, even though he put up a dud the other day. I think he's kind of earned minutes, um, and he gives you a lot of defense. He's the, one of the reasons that you're one of the best shot blocking teams in the country. And I think Devo is that is the is the other guy there to kind of round out that five. And you think about it, that's six five, six four, six five, six eight, or six nine, and and then six eleven. Like that's a lot of length. I think that's five guys that can defend, and. You've got your your three best offensive weapons, your best shot blocker out there, and then you're, you know, the guy that's been with Eric through all the success, all the ups and downs, and everything. A guy that, you know, Eric really trusts in Devo. I think that's the five for me. And then maybe you bring L off the bench, uh, maybe a change of pace, or you know, just kind of a, a different look at the guard spot. I do think there is a role for Layden Blocker off the ball. Um, because he's he's one he's a great cutter like he moves really really well off the ball. Um, Makai Mitchell probably in the front court that might be your sub. So that's what eight guys, mm-hmm. eight guys. We feel good about that eight. Like is that? Am I talking out of the side of my head or is that? I mean I think that could I think that might be able to work. But I think it all comes down to a commitment to the to the defensive end too. Yeah, I think. I think I'd agree with your five. You said, um, I think Devo is a guy that like he's second on the team in rebounds right now, 4.8 per game. Um, he's le- tied with LLS for tops and assists. Like he still impacts the game in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Take think- some pressure off of him by making or just giving him kind of a secondary type role where it's like, you just kind of do the things that you do well mm-hmm. and just be kind of a, I don't know if complimentary piece is the right word, but I think yeah. that's that, and, that's a good role for him. And the thing with Devo, he's, his field goal percentage right now is 35%, 3.23%. I think we've learned from years past, it kind of the more that Devo buys into just the other stuff, like the offense starts to cut round into form later in the year. At least that was the case last year. I feel like that was kind of the case Um like since he's been here like it just seems like he's playing his best by the end of the year um because it's like the offense is kind of caught up to where he, like what he brings defensively in rebounding um i think he's definitely i mean i think those three you said at the top battle mark brazil devo and then it's chandler lawson i think as well i think he just um kind of in similar fashion it's like do the things that not everybody else is always gonna take pride in doing and take pride in doing that um so I think those five, I think I think I think if you're going nine, I I would I just think there's still a place for Ellis, Mitchell, Layden Blocker, and Jeremiah Davenport too. I think Davenport gives you something. He's like that. Who could I compare him to in the past? Almost like early CJ Jones <laughs> of just like come in and give us a spark whenever we really need somebody who can just knock down some shots. Um great body language yeah. and energy guy. I think yeah. and I think there's a role a for him. Sh- he for saw sure. a couple shots go down the other night. I think yeah. that helps him. Um, people are probably listening and wondering, like, where's Jalen Graham? I think like that backup big spot could be on a per game, ba- like a as needed by game basis. You know what I mean? Is like last year, I don't really remember Kai being like a huge part of that Florida game, but Eric was like, "Oh, we're about to cut Jalen Graham loose, boy," and he he. He did. He had a yeah. great game, but then the next game, he's like, not really part of the part of the plan. You know what I mean? I think that I think I the, think he's five, a guy you can look at certain matchups and be like, we yeah. really like him in this game. I think I'm surprised, not shocked, but surprised. Like Joe Pinion hasn't had much of a role at all this year. I mean, Mm-mm. I kind of just expected him this year, like considering that he came back out of that group that there weren't many that came back that were either the go, went to the league or transferred. Um, I just figured that meant there would be some sort of role for him. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a hard spot for him right now because there's not like a ton of opportunity in like meaningful points of the game. And then that that I mean, what I've noticed with players, if there's not that role for you, and then you're getting asked, I mean, like he played against OU late in the game. I think he did decent. Um, where it's like a lot of pressure on you to perform in those moments and not mess up. And I don't know. I just I don't know. I would like to see him like honestly, we're talking about changing things up. I'd like to see him just get a chance to maybe like play with the guys for a little bit. Um, I know that I, I'm not sitting here saying I think Joe Pinion will change this team. Like his problems. I just think if you're if you're talking about changing things, maybe like give a guy who's been here a couple of years um, at least a chance to get some meaningful minutes. All right, we're going to hit a quick break, and on the other side, we'll get into some questions. Uh, from the basketball message board at Whole Hog Sports. I sent out a bat signal uh, yesterday for some of those, and we definitely got some questions. Um, and Ethan will also give us the latest on Arkansas's women's team, which lost to UAPB over the weekend. Um, and as always, we'll have the Talia Scott fact of the week. Stay with us. Get the latest breaking news on all Arkansas Razorback sports at wholehogsports.com. Our award-winning reporters and photographers go beyond game recaps to bring our subscribers the most trusted Razorbacks news anywhere. With expert analysis, the latest in recruiting, plus unique and compelling stories of your favorite teams. Subscribe today at wholehogsports.com. Welcome back into the Basketball Podcast of Mid America. We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, I teased on the uh, before the break that we were going to get into some questions from the basketball board um, at Whole Hog Sports. And asked for men's and women's questions. Got a lot of a lot of questions about the the men's team, um, and then I can pro- I guess I can probably just ask you some questions about the women's team. Um, this question is from uh, Gentry Razorback. Do you see this team coming together like past must teams during conference play and finishing strong? I'll take this one. I do not. I'm sorry. I'm going to be that person. Right now, I'm being very negative. I just think that the defense is a real issue. I think they'll come together. And I think that rel- the, the way they asked this question, it was like past must teams. I don't think this is a Sweet 16 team like or beyond. I think they'll come together and get, get in the tournament. I just don't, I don't see this coming together and producing the same results that we've seen in the past. Um, you know... Sorry, I'm too many hurdles to get over. Yeah, I just think that defend like right now, from what I've seen, it's a different feel from what it's been years past. As far as like, like I don't know, like you don't have any clue the identity of this team. There's been at times before where you felt that way, but like they hadn't done some of the things they're doing this year. I don't know how to describe it. I just don't feel the same confidence to say I think they're going to figure it all out and produce you another Sweet 16 run. I'm not feeling that confident. I do think this is a tournament team, though. Joe Lenardi doesn't at the moment. Yesterday he had nine SEC teams in his projected field of 64 or 68 or whatever the hell you want to say. Arkansas was not one of them. Um, So Arkansas has got to climb ahead of them big time. Um, I'm going to say that they they do – I think they do come together. I think what's going to happen is going to be like maybe a couple of years ago when Eric was like, you know, he's he was, you know, in the pool house or on the couch or whatever, and he's like, what would my dad do in this situation? And he was like, he would put the five guys on the floor that would defend and rebound. And I think we're going to see some variation of that. I think you're going to see Eric put his five toughest guys on the floor. Um, and I wrote on the board the other day that I think, you know, you're gonna you're gonna put the five guys on the floor who will and can defend. And if you win by a damn junior high basketball score, so be it. Wins are wins. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Arkansas's offense is gifted enough to um, avoid scoring like some junior highs do. But defensively, I mean, if you can. I mean, that's going to take a lot of work because you're giving up over 75 a game at the moment. Um, but I think it, it, I think the, the rotation will shorten. I think there's going to be uh, a premium put on placed on, on defense. If you don't defend, you're not playing. That's been a non-negotiable in the past. Um, I think that will definitely continue. Um, Blake, this one is, is right up your alley. This is from uh, Dogen1. 
why did Musk get kicked out of the OU game? And I mentioned that you were you were basically on BOK Center version of of Gucci Row. You had a really good seat, pretty close to the scores table, and and where Eric um, kind of lost it there. Yeah, props to my dad for getting really incredible tickets. I told him that you know I used to work for the university, and I'd be on the floor holding the shoulder camera right under the basket. Other than that, the seats we had on Saturday were the best seats I've ever had for a basketball game in my entire life. I've been to a lot of basketball games. Um, whenever it went to, to a timeout, when it was going to commercial, I don't remember which Oklahoma player it was, but the entire Oklahoma team had gone back to their bench, and there was one Oklahoma player that was taunting Arkansas's entire bench. And the reason Musselman got so angry was because the referee came over there and just put his hand on the player's back and started escorting him back to Oklahoma's end of the bench and didn't give him a technical, that's when Musselman blew his top and started going completely, you know, insane and had to be held back. And I could, I was reading Musselman li- Musselman's lips. He was saying, let's go, let's go. I think he was trying to fight the ref. Um, and I was, we were talking about that in the stands. I turned around and was like, I think he was trying to fight the ref. And fans behind me were like, I think you're right. And, um, Eventually, they did give that player te- during the break. They did yeah. give that player a technical foul, but originally they didn't, and that's why Musselman got so angry. Uh, and then he got two and got tossed. But um, but yeah, that's that's why it's, it was it was because he the Oklahoma player didn't get a tech for for taunting. And at that point, there had already been a couple technicals called in the game already. I think, and I think it ended up being six total for the game uh, combined. But there had already been a, it was already a little chippy. There had already been a couple of of moments, uh, tense moments in the game. So for, for the ref to not give the Oklahoma player a, a tech immediately for taunting when his entire team is on the other end of the floor, uh, yeah, that's why Musselman got so angry. Good insight from from the man who was basically in the chaos himself. Um, another question, this one's also from from Dogen One. He, he had several in here. I'm just going to get to to another one. Uh, who on this team is most likely to step up and demand accountability and effort from their teammates? I'll t- I guess I can take this one. Um, I think it's Caleb Battle and Trevin Brazil. I think those are. I mean, a Devo can can probably do it too. Um, but right now, Devo's not playing real well, you know. So that like that could maybe fall on on some deaf ears. I understand that it could probably fall on deaf ears coming from KB after a two for 10 game and TB after not scoring. Um, but I think he maybe earned a little bit of respect the other day playing on a on a bum ankle. Um, but I just I think Caleb Battles got the personality to um, we talked about it all the time, like the he's got the the jersey in him. I don't think he's afraid to, to speak his mind and speak up and uh, demand more from teammates and and demand more demand more from himself. He knows he can't go two for ten and and this team win consistently. Um, any any thoughts on that? Those I mean, TB and and Caleb Battle probably come to mind first for me. I'd pick Battle. That's who I'd if I'm. I'd only pick one right now. I'd pick him. He just seems like the most energetic. I give a crap all the time on the court type of player to me. He seems like the one that's. He I don't know. He just seems like the one that maybe would be the one willing to try and maybe speak some life into the guys. Um, I would put TB in that same con- uh, bracket, but I don't know. It's just talking about accountability and stuff. I've seen too many technicals this year <laughs> for me to be like, huh? I don't know. It's it's hard for me to throw him in that same bracket right now, but I do think him and Devo, like you said, can both mold into that person. It's just, if you're got to be accountable with yourself first. So for sure. I just think it's got to, I think it's the, the demands have to come from, if it's not, coach driven it's got to come from the guys that are like maybe your your alphas on the yeah. team um one one from jeremy why won't must even consider playing some zone from time to time it's not who he is i mean I, I think it's it's kind of simple as that like he comes from pro ball and i mean you even i mean you see some zone being played in the nba now but i mean that's probably what five percent of the time at most um and i think i think part of it too is you know if you play a zone i think that makes you susceptible to offensive rebounding and eric wants to you know not give up offensive rebounds and so that would be probably my reasoning 
Yeah, and, you know, perimeter defense has, has been a problem. If you're playing zone you're, and you're kind of packing it in, you're just – you're daring the other team to shoot over it. And if, you, if you'd played zone against Oklahoma, and, they, and Oklahoma was knocking down threes. I mean, if you're playing zone against a, a team that can shoot like that, it, that's a zone buster, you know. I mean, you're giving up threes right now at a 35% clip. So you want to force teams to to do that? I think I a zone know. right now would actually – I get it. People are frustrated, like, change something defensively. This isn't working. But the two things that I feel like right now you can pinpoint and be like, these really stink for the Razorbacks is kind of three-point defense and offensive rebounding. I'm like, I don't think a zone is going to help out with those. Um, but I get it. I get the frustration. People are like, we're sick of seeing what's happening on defense right now. Change something. But I don't think a zone would uh, – It's not really the solution one one thing we haven't really talked about either I, I could see the way oklahoma was getting the ball inside and getting layups the a knee-jerk reaction might be like why don't we switch to zone what we haven't really talked about is oklahoma's a really good team and i think i think from watching the game the other day i think oklahoma's probably the best team arkansas has played all year i know they've played duke and north carolina you know memphis is pretty good i think oklahoma was the best team they've played all year and i i just think if they had switched to his own Oklahoma would have just started, you know, shooting more threes, and they were making them already. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really think we've talked about just how good Oklahoma is. Good team, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But playing a zone doesn't eliminate, you know, having to fight over ball screens. Mm -hmm. It doesn't because that's like kind of new age way to beat the zone is you, you know, you send a big or two bigs to, you know, set a ball screen on either side of those. If you're going two, three, you set a ball screen on either side of those top two guys. Um, you know, try to compromise the defense, get into the get to the nail, and and figure it out from there. Um, I think we covered it pretty good from the men's side. I bet we get into uh, all the all the fun stuff going on with Arkansas's women's basketball team. Yeah. You want to enlighten us a little bit? I'll keep this short and sweet. They lost to UAPB. Um, Granted, UAPB, I've said this all along. I said if they're going to lose to any of these in-state teams because Mike Neighbors is probably of all the coaches on campus the most like embracing of playing these in-state games. He plays all of them every year. I've said if they're going to lose to one of them, it'll be UAPB because it's hard to beat a team um, that has the talent. They have so much talent on that team because it's a bunch of players who are like former five stars or like just other transfers from big schools that just kind of didn't make it there. They have a girl named Zay Green on their team who was at Tennessee as the number 10 recruit in her class in 2018. And uh, I don't know what happened to Tennessee, but she's at UAPB now. And she is like the swag player of the week every single week of this year because she's giving people buckets. They just, I mean, they got out physicaled. They got out, I mean, my neighbors, I forgot exactly how he worded it, but they just got, like, he said, I'm not going to make any excuses because we just got our butts beat. Um, they got, like, any loose ball, UAP is, UAPB is going to get it. Any, uh, like, tough rebound, UAPB is going to get it. They just got they got beat. Um, really bad loss. Um, considering UAPB's record, they were 3-7 and seven entering this game. Granted, they had played a lot of power five teams and actually had come pretty close in a few of them, but still not a great loss. I think over time it will become a better loss. Cause I think this, that's a team that will probably win their conference um, just with the talent they have. But still, I, I had, you told me before that game that there would be a stretch of the game that Arkansas hit nine straight three pointers taken. This is a team that like all year, I'm like, the problem has been like sometimes forcing threes that they aren't hitting and they made nine in a row at one point and then they would lose. I would have told you you're out of your mind, but lo and behold, that's what happens whenever you give up. I forgot how many offensive rebounds, I think 22 offensive rebounds. Lord have mercy. And 22, 22 offensive rebounds. And I think 22 second chance points. That's what happens whenever you don't rebound. And the crazy thing is Mike neighbors really could have actually made some excuses because he had one of his best, interior players out uh she tore emory ellis tore ucl like before the season and looked like she did something again to it against louisiana tech she's a presence down low samara spencer one of his best players got popped in the face early in the game and had to wear a mask for like the whole rest of the game and you could tell it just like she wasn't the same player it was like the mask was messing with her um you had some players like that are like could have made excuses but you should never lose to uapb so i'm glad that he went the route of i'm not making any excuses because 
they still should have won that game. You can't be up by 10 at half and lose a game. Um, what's ahead for them is figure this thing out before you get to SEC play because it's similar. I mean, just like the men's side, if you if you have some problems like offensive rebounding against UAPB, you better believe the moment these ladies face Tennessee or – well, Tennessee actually is struggling rebounding this year, but that's a side note. The moment they play LSU. South Carolina likes to rebound, I hear. Oh, my goodness. That's what the word on the street is. <laughs> The moment they play LSU in South Carolina, if they're getting out-rebounded like this, it'll be a similar thing to what happened against UCLA. They got re- out-rebounded by 30 in that game. Um, you just – you either got to shoot the crap out of the ball or rebound. <laughs> I mean, both would be ideal. But, uh, anyways, that's kind of my update on them. Talia Scott, can I give my fact yet? Yeah, man. I'm ready to give this Blake, fact. play the music. It's time for the Talia Scott stat slash fact of the week. The Talia Scott – fact of the week is she just won her fourth straight sec freshman of the week honor which is the first time anybody has ever done that in the history of the league i think she's pretty good um that's just my take she's pretty good um and i think that could be a huge understatement um and it was crazy i've said it i've said it over and over about her like people are like why does she keep shooting threes she's not making it she started off the year really cold from three they're going in now they're going in at a really high rate now and it's scary um, for other people. She is just a bucket. I don't know how. I mean, she's our president of the bucket club for a reason. If she's if she's feeling it, the moment you see one of her shots go in, she is maybe more than any other player I've seen like this. Um, the moment you see one of her shots go in, get ready. It's an avalanche. It's the next five are going in. And that happened against UAPB. I mean, they made a great adjustment on her at halftime. Um, they actually started making an adjustment on her in the second quarter. Um, at one point, she made five straight threes, and I'm talking about, like, cross you over, like, tough step-back threes. These aren't just like, oh, I found myself wide open. Um, and they started uh, really, really pressuring her, like, bringing double teams, uh, face guarding, like, really tight. And in the first half, she was really good at reading it and got other teammates involved. Um, the team stepped up and hit like four straight threes that weren't you know her taking it um but the second half uapv just like it was like they were gonna make other people like beat them um she still scored eight points in the second half but she had 23 at the half and had limited limited to 31 in the game limited 31 um so yeah um that's my that's my talia fact i went on a little rant about how uh, you know how she's gonna have to get used to you know people are just game planning for her and making other people beat them and the good thing is I do think this is a team that can other people can beat them I think on Saturday it was just kind of a culmination of everything that could go wrong was kind of going wrong um, so um, yeah she's she's our president for a reason though streets are saying she's pretty good buddy yeah I think I've said this I think I said this on the first episode and I've, I'll say it every once in every single episode after this give it a year or two and she will be like how you have like people talking about on the women's game, like Paige Beckers at UConn or Caitlin, like she will be in that group. Like I, she's too good. She's like, she moves different on the court. There's in the women's game, like, you know, the men's it's a little bit harder. I feel like to find your stars, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. the women's game, sometimes you just, you just watch them and you're like, that girl just moves different. And that's Talia Scott. I mean, she just moves different and it's, She's got a lot of good teammates around her too, though. I don't want to like negate that. Like she couldn't do what she does without good teammates around her. They just got to figure some things out and hopefully get a little bit healthier. I guess we'll move on to the weekend. Uh, Arkansas's women opened the doubleheader in North Little Rock at Simmons Bank Arena on Saturday against Samford, twelve thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Arkansas will close close the night five o'clock on Saturday. Arkansas's men will play. Lipscomb, both games are going to be streamed on SEC Network Plus. So I'm kind of interested to see if that impacts attendance because I feel like part of the reason at least the men's games are, you know, really, really, really lively, fun crowds is because you you got to be there to see it. Um, but I still expect, you know, Central Arkansas and, and South Arkansas will, will, will show out uh, for those games. But we'll, we will be down there. Ethan will have coverage of the – of Arkansas's women's game, he might stick around. He might not for the for the men's game. I don't blame him because that's a long ass day if you're staying down there for both games and driving back uh, all in one day. But 
Uh, we'll have full coverage of both of those games at wholehogsports.com. Uh, for Ethan Westerman and Blake Sutton, I'm Scotty Borderline. Thank you for listening in, and we will see you next week on the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. The proceeding has been a production of the Hog Sports Network. Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.